Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Overcoming Your Story podcast. This week, we have a special guest, my friend, Hawa Noor. She accepted to do this interview with us. Hawa is Kenyan based in Toronto. She's a journalist, creative writer, researcher, editor, and artist. She's one of the highlights of my moving to Toronto. I've I've been having a great, great time since I met her at work. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Hawa. Thank you so much, Miriam. It's really nice to be here um, and to uh, chat with you. Yeah. So how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's not as sunny as I would like it to be outside, but I really can't complain. How are you? Yeah, I'm good too. It's not sunny. This week is not a sunny week, but hey, yeah. can you introduce yourself in your own words? Sure. Uh, so I am Kenyan. I was born and raised in Toronto. I'm a creative writer, artist, researcher, um, and I'm really interested in doing work about like my community in East Africa, um, archiving, preserving knowledge, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. And um uh... You know that this uh, show is uh, geared towards women, African women. Is there a message you would like them to get away from our conversation today? I think I struggle with this. So I guess it's advice to us all, but like to really honor where you're at. Because I think that, at least in my experience, we're often, or I was often taught to push through, you know, like put on your blinders and like block out all the noise. Um, you know, if you're feeling a certain way about yourself or about the world or anything else, you know, kind of just keep pushing. But I think that like really just sitting and honoring where you're at, even if like life is moving and you have to, you do have to push through and you don't really have the option to stop to really internally honor where you're at, you know, not to try and like talk away where you're at, whether that's like really good or could use some work. Yeah. I really like that. So do you want to share a bit about yourself, uh, how you grew up, and uh, just so our listeners can get to know you a bit better? My mom raised me, although like my dad's always kind of been in my life. So I spent most of my life in Toronto. I lived for one year in Kenya when I was really small. I was six or seven. And I think that really shaped a lot of the way I came to see myself and my identity. My mom would make sure that we would like visit Kenya every three or four years, I went back home to what felt like to me pretty frequently compared to like the rest of my peers. Yeah. And then when I was 16, I moved back home again. No, I didn't move back home. I visited back home again. And I feel like that is when I decided that I wanted to make Kenya my home because I went, I experienced tenderness, love, community. I learned my language, felt like I belonged, felt like I wasn't like a nuisance. So I feel like at 16 is when I is when I really um, fell in love with my mom's country. And that's the first time I visited Tanzania. I have a lot of family there. My life from teenagehood onwards felt like my goal to get back. And it still kind of is. So then a lot of my art projects, a lot of my writing, a lot of my schoolwork is kind of informed by like that angsty diaspora experience that actually a lot of people back home make fun of, which I totally get. It's like, you love this place, you know, we're struggling to like foster change. And then in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but we're struggling to foster change everywhere. Anyway, so when I was 22, right out of university, just after finishing my undergraduate degree, 
I moved back home. Um, I was there for a couple of years. It was the best time of my life, the hardest time of my life, the most anxious time of my life. There's this like cliche on social media now, like depression causes memory loss. I learned that that is in fact true, (laughs) but it was also, again, very nourishing. Like everything I thought about, I thought living back home when I was a teenager, everything I thought it would be, it was and even more. Yeah, it's like a sense of like peace that I think that unless you know what you felt what home is, you can't really know what that is, you know? And I think you can probably feel it anywhere. But for me, for some reason, it was always, always um, in, my, in my motherland. So I did. I was doing a lot of work with an organization called Safari Doctors. So we spent a lot of time in the ocean, uh, running medical clinics, like on little islands around the archipelago. So life-changing, really, to be honest with you. And I was with my family. I was like a hop and a skip away from my grandma. I got to attend funerals and weddings. So you just make me want to go back to Cameroon right now. You should. I thought you were going to say Kenya. I was going to say, come with me. Yeah, but oh, no. yeah. Yeah. I, I intend to visit uh, Kenya because uh, you took wonderful photos of when you were Kenya, of Lamu. And those photos are just, wow. Like everybody should go to Lamu. That's what I want to say. It's incredible. It yeah. is absolutely incredible. It's the best place in the world. Yeah. You're coming. You've said it on the record now. You're coming. Yes, I'm coming. Yeah. Lamu is on the coast of Kenya, right? Yes. To dive in today, we're going to start by talking about how we honor ourselves. As you said, actually, um, in your message, how we honor ourselves, how we stay true to ourselves, even in the midst of um, societal pressures, family pressures, and responsibilities, how not to lose sight of ourselves sometimes, even when everybody's telling us something different. Hmm. So what do you have to say about that, my dear? For me, at least, it's been hard. I think that's, I hope that's not the takeaway, but even if it is, I, I hope it's affirming. You know, it's not easy to really find a personal balance that like works for you because there's a lot from every corner. Like if you're working on reading through the heaps of self-help books that everybody recommends, they tell you one thing. And if you're in therapy, they might tell you another thing and your friends might tell you something else. And like family, even well-meaning family that you trust might tell you something else. So finding a balance that works for you can feel really daunting. And I think, I hope that it's uh, it's possible, right? I remember even as a child um, in Cameroon, I used to I used to struggle so much to to know who I am as part of the group, you know. The group um was so important that I was like, so who who is Miriam in this group? Like what's my identity as a person while I belong to the group, you know? And uh, I was conscious of that. I, I didn't have these beautiful words, but I yeah, I found it a bit oppressive sometimes because I didn't have a sense of self. Uh, but I had this, I knew what the group expected of me. But then I was like, but who am I in this? You know, how am I different from the next person? You know, yeah. Um, and um, the way the way my community was organized, the group was more important than, I mean, the rules of the group, the culture, the everything was more important than nurturing who little Miriam was in the group, you know? Yeah, that was um, a struggle sometimes. I didn't voice it because <laughs> I could get, I could have been in trouble or something. Or, 
got disrespectful or something. But I don't know. I'm sure many people struggle with this, especially coming from our communities where um, sometimes uh, the group just imposes itself on you when people come and they give themselves the right to ask you, why are you not married? So when are you having kids? So, uh, you know, like just things that normally you should know someone really well to even get to. And even that question directly like that is so aggressive. And people just randomly everywhere, they ask you that, you know. why? I remember an uncle telling me, so I went back home. It was not even an uncle, it's a cousin, 60-year-old cousin, yeah. <laughs> and then I went, I told him how I went to university, I did this, I was, he said, yeah, but all of that, it's worth nothing if you're not married and you have kids. I was like, it was like a gut punch. I was like, uh, uh, okay, like absolutely so, crazy. Yeah, how not to compromise ourselves when we are in a group? I think that's a really tough one because I don't think that I ever really questioned my sense of self or who I am until very recently. I want to say maybe the last like three years. Like I'd mentioned before, my whole kind of goal, and it's still a big part of, of what I want for myself, was to build a home in Kenya, you know, not a little home, but I mean like build a home and uh, possibly build a home in Tanzania where my elders are. And when that came into fruition in 2018, 18, and then I had to come back or I chose to come back rather, I was kind of at a crossroad, like what now, you know, and I think a lot of people go through that when like they reach like the pinnacle of success in their lives you know you achieve everything you want to achieve and then you're kind of like okay well i did it you know um in my case it was like i did it and i thought it might be permanent and then now i'm back in the city that i don't love um so i feel like that's really when i started to think about you know who am i apart from the group I put that in air quotes because I'm nobody apart from the group. I am the group, right? But I, I like I. Who am I? If I remove myself from these like arbitrary things that I feel like are so that define me, right? Like a certain environment, you know, certain relationships. Because a lot of my relationships changed. Um, that's when I started thinking about that. For me, at least, it's not something that ever would have entered my mind if I had come back, sorry, if I hadn't come back, or maybe it would have actually, that's, I don't know that, but um, that's kind of what brought it into sharp, crystal clear view. Like, who are you? And I didn't know. I knew what I like to do. And then even that kind of started falling apart a little bit. I could tell you what my relations were with different people, family, etc. I could tell you that like I needed a job, I needed money. I could tell you that I like to read. I could tell you that I love the ocean. But if you asked me, which are definitely parts of myself. But if you ask me like who I was, I felt very kind of empty, kind of like there's not really anything there, you know? Um, and I think in my case, core kind of group that I was surrounded by, the adults in my life, I was an adult at the time, but you know, like the- mm -hmm. The elders. Yeah, the elders, you know, the ones who kind of were the adults when I was a child kind of thing, probably wouldn't really know what to do with that, you know? and. I couldn't really look to them for guidance or reinforcement because they didn't know who I was. You know, they didn't know what I liked or uh, like who I was kind of before all the noise. And it was 
unfortunately, um, a case where like there's a lot of projection, you know, we want you to be this and we want you to be that and we want you to be A to Z. Like I didn't know kind of who I was and where I was at. Um, and then people in my group who were um, and are encouraging and would even if like aunties back home would be like, I believe in you, you'll be so successful or, um, you know, you can achieve anything you want. Like, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is anymore, you know? So um, yeah, yeah, it, it was a real and is actually a real challenge. It kind of just throws you off kilter a little bit. So yeah, and unfortunately while, and we talked about this before, right? Like while I really, 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 really value the group, it can also be very disorienting because in my context, it is never ever about, especially as a younger person or like non-elder, it was never about my place in the group. It was more about like, what can you do for us in this group? And I don't want to make that universal because I know that it's not its not universal. Like it's very specific to my context, but I also know that a lot of people can probably relate, you know? I think I've read somewhere that this kind of crisis can happen when you had like a big goal and you achieve it. And then as you're at this like, so what now? <laughs> what now? I, you know, my plan was to get to this point. Now I've done it. So of course there's, there's a lot of stuff on there that we didn't take care of that then it compounds and then, oh, wow, <laughs> you know. Um, I was reading um, a research paper um, about how groups, it was about uh, uh, societal structures in Africa, and they were saying how because many tribes used to fight wars before, you know, like neighboring villages fighting wars, so people, individuals were like geared towards the survival of the group. So the bond of the group was more important than your individual, you know, <laughs> self. So that's why the, 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 I would say the group is so strong with regards to the individual. But I was thinking about, I said, hmm, but today things have shifted a bit, you know. And for us to do things differently, we have to start looking at the individual because some things where, I don't know, for me, for example, I get triggered when I hear it takes a village. It's a nice saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Okay. Okay. I was abandoned. So for me, what I, in my experience, for me, it, it took a village to punish a child. If you did something wrong, there was someone to tell you it was wrong, someone to crack you on the head and give you a slap. But if you were hungry or you needed to do homework, there was no one because there was no um, caregiver that was like, okay, I will take care of this, this, and this exactly for this child. But so I was like, okay, there are things, I'm not saying that it comes from the way we are structured, colonization also came into all of this, right? But these are things that we need to recognize that for sometimes we just use you know, things, sayings and things that maybe used to work in a past context, but that don't work anymore. When I think about the group context in my community, I think, and full disclaimer, I am like for the group, like the group is my jam. So so it's like, that's the tr kind of the tricky balance I was trying to figure out. But when I think about group dynamics in my 
family and like in many other families that I know in my community, Swahili community, by the way. Yes, it's like we're thinking about the group, you know, like the integrity of the group, whatever that might be, whether it's your family or uh, and there's no such thing as extended family. Obviously, it's just like your whole family or uh, your family in relation to your neighborhood. But the problem to me, and I'm not sure this is kind of me just kind of going off what you said, is it's not really about the group. Because if it was about the group and if it was about everybody's well-being in the group, then, you know, it's like you are your weakest link kind of thing. To me, it's always seemed more like the group masking our individual egos, you know? Like if, you know, you do something and you bring shame upon your family, for example, that kind of doesn't mean anything to me. You're bringing shame upon individual people who then project that feeling, you know, onto the group. I don't know if that makes sense. So, because, and then in situations where I, I, I was going to say in more functional families, but I'm really thinking about my family as like a huge unit of like all of my relatives. So let me say that in situations in my family where I've seen that not happen and like care and uh, concern and interest and uh, tenderness is given to especially like young people and young children and people growing by the elders in a family. To me, that's the group, right? Like that, that to me is like the ideal of the group. You know, it takes a village, you're right, like, a lot of times it does take a village to punish. You know, we were talking about how like you'll go to school, you'll get beat for something, you'll go home, you'll get beat for it again. You know, the neighbor will hear that you and their child did it together and you'll get like a third beating. Yeah. Um, you know, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> and also on the flip side, I always wonder like what would that group dynamic or what does that group dynamic look like? when it's healthy. And I think for me, um, in the diaspora, in my little nuclear family, like single mom family, that's kind of what was um, missing. And then these like ideas of the group that didn't resonate with me were kind of what dominated. This is so shameful. This is not what our people do. You know, this is like this, that, and the other. Like, are you sure? Or are you just saying that to kind of get me to do what you want kind of thing you know or like to get me to be who you want you know I also think that you're right they I guess it's like a double-edged sword right like it can go either way and often it goes left so <laughs> so and then we get lost we get lost we kind of we get lost in these like toxic ideas of group like that's not community that's not no that's not what it is actually <laughs> because uh people use the group to hide their own pain use the group as a tool to to mask what they cannot face, you know, and to project to um, like I don't know um, if some if a child is trying to take a decision for themselves. Oh, that is dishonoring your family, um, you know. Yeah, I mean you can you can honor yourself and still be part of the group. I'm also for the group, you know. We, we like human beings are born to be in a group, you know. That's uh, if we are not in the group, we don't we don't um, do well. <laughs> if we are not, if we don't feel we belong, we don't do well. That's really part of human nature. It's not even to be, the, um, but we can make it healthy. You 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 
I'm saying if the group, like I was giving the example of beating and stuff, if the group instead nurtured, you know, called nurture all the kids of the community, imagine that those kids, I mean, they will not have a hard time like maintaining the group because the group has poured into them so much. I'm sure it happens. It happens. I, I don't want to <laughs> make my experience be like a blanket experience, but I'm sure it happens. But when when it's like that, people uphold those values because they know what those values, I mean, what what has been given to them. But where it doesn't resonate is when, like, maybe the the poor, I don't know, abuse, beatings, and then they ask you now to uphold the values of the group. Yeah, it doesn't. It will not match your. Because you have this pain and then at the same time you have to honor and prove to others that this is this is what these are my traditions. These are it's a bit, you know. <laughs> it's a lot. And then also you're part of this unit or group, but well I, you know, was a part of this unit or group in Toronto and I didn't I was not nurtured as a part of the group, you know, like there's parts of a whole. So um, if I'm in a situation or, you know, you're in a situation where we're in a situation where you, you don't know who you are in the context of your group or even outside of that context, then how is that helping anybody? You know, if you, yeah, how can you show up as your best self and feel like you're living a fulfilling life? I just, I just can't see it, you know, so um it i was reminded of this story of somebody who had done something wrong and were beaten for it in public and then years later many many years later um i was speaking to somebody who knew this person and she was like on the rationale behind it was you know shame you did something wrong da 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 da, da. like you dishonored us you whatever the whatever the case is, you know? Um, and then years and years later, somebody who knew this person came to me and was like, but why would they do that, you know? And this person was also part of like the wider group. They were just like, but that was extreme. That was unnecessary. That was like, the response did not match the stated crime. So yeah, in many instances, it's false. Like it's like ideals that we have often don't even really... So often they do, but often they don't even really reflect what the group actually thinks. It's just like you, literally exactly what you said when you said like, I don't know if it's like individual needs or like insecurities or fears. And so often um, we, they use guilt, shame. And um, yeah, I mean, if you question something, you're, you're, you're um, disrespecting your elders. If something is, you know. And you know it's not logical. Even sometimes I could see as a child, like, but this doesn't make sense. But I couldn't say it. I couldn't say it didn't make sense because someone will give me a slap that I'm disrespectful. But then we don't progress because some I know many people in my family who, in the name of they were elders, like they messed everyone up. When you you're like a parent and you have ten kids, and then you go and uh, you talk bad about every kid to every kid and make agreements with everyone. No one can yeah. get them, you mm -hmm. see? But if people come together and speak about it, they will see that actually the main person doing that is the elder. And uh, even though we want to be respectful to the elder, we think, okay, when she comes to talk to you, just know what it's about. You just have let her be, you know? And then we can debrief and then so that we counter this kind of behavior. 
you know, or tear her gently or something. But when we go with it, it just creates dynamics where no one gets along. It, it's not healthy. It's very toxic. It's very toxic. And that we, it's passed behind. She's the elder of the family. We have to listen to her. No, we have to see where the elder is coming from. Yes, exactly. And then not be that elder when we're older, you know. Yeah, right? <laughs> kind of undo those things because then, yeah. yeah, then what is even the point, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, if I don't work on my traumas today, I will become an elder who has trauma and who is projecting trauma on other people. You see what I mean? People, yeah. I'm yeah. the elder, but no (laughs) no no that title really does come with weight and with like responsibility and i think that when i do meet elders in my family and community who like uphold that i never forget you know i never forget the elder who comes to me with compassion or you know sits and asks me what i want or even you know even when because i do think that in my community the needs of the group are prioritized over the needs of the individual. They just, they are, you know, even when elders come with versions of that, that I don't, that don't necessarily resonate with me. You know, like for example, when I was younger, it was like, be a doctor or a lawyer and like, take care of your family. You know, luckily for all of us, I do want to eventually be able to take care of my family, but I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer. So, you know, where does that leave us? Kind of thing. Um, But even, even the elders who do come with, those ideas that I may not necessarily agree with when they come with compassion and ears open rather than like a mouth to lecture that stays that stays with me and that stays I think with yeah because I think that unfortunately in my experience it's been it's been relatively rare yeah so that definitely stays with me to wrap up this conversation um I was thinking I I I was in one clubhouse room where a young woman was saying that she went to study in England and um, she had to work to to be able to pay her fees, her rent and everything. And uh, like her mom kept calling her to send money and then she would send money and then she would send her prayers. And then she was like, I'm in such a bad situation. I just want my mom to understand and wait. When I will finish these studies and find work, I will help her. But she doesn't want to understand. She wants the money now. And then she sends me prayers. She's like, look at what I have to do to send this money. And I get prayers in return. I'm sorry, but that doesn't help me right now. I was like, wow. You know, it's big to realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And to really realize that I shouldn't make this judgment. But just based on what you said, like, we we often see folks not really caring about how you're doing it or how you're coming about things. It's just kind of like, again, like that individual need for themselves, you know? Um, I was really actually surprised because obviously I feel like that's kind of a very, very common experience, unfortunately, in our communities. I was really surprised when uh, relatives of mine shared that this very, very important person in my life would never ask me for anything because they knew I was really going through it. I would just be like, how does that even work? You know, like that is uncommon, at least from what I've seen, especially for young people. There is a lot of entitlement, I think is the word. Again, masked as like for the group. Yeah. Your family, your, 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 you don't know your people anymore. You've forgotten your values, you've, you know. But no, 
I don't know, I will give a random example. You want me to marry you so that you can come to Europe. When I will meet my real husband, what will I tell him? I married my uncle. You see what I mean? It creates such a mess. And people, they, they're not, they're just, no, no, but you're going to help me. But yeah, but I don't want to lose myself in the process, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and especially I want. I'm gonna say especially um, for people in the diaspora, there is that pressure, and I've really, really, I never thought I would. I've really come to like understand that where our people come from um, when they make those kinds of requests, when it's done like with care and tenderness, and taking into account, you know, um, where you're at and et cetera. But it often gets very weird and very scary. It's, again, no longer about uh, the well-being of everybody. It's like, you know, and what I say when I've come to understand it is like, you know, you, you know you're know, you in a better position than us, which is true. That's true. Fine. You know, fine. We're in a better we're in a better position. You know, we can stand to help. You know, maybe I don't need an extra pair of shoes or I don't need an extra pair of this or uh, even in our case, like eating smaller meals, you know. That I really, really do counterintuitively, but I do understand those choices. You know, you can't leave your people who cared for you behind. But then it often just gets weird. You know, like it goes from, you know, we lifted you up to lift everybody up to, you know, you go there and die and like take care of, take care of, take care of us. You know, like there's, again, that balance, that balance, you know, it just, it's completely out the window. It it just, you know, yeah. yeah. I think when I was really younger, I was like, oh, I will finish university. I will have my my many, many siblings because they have to have a better life. And and then growing, growing I was like, wow, I struggle so much. If I manage to already help myself, that would already be amazing, you know, because it's of no use me um, working round, round the clock, sending, I, I tried sending some of the money, but when I, send you money and then you tell me how you went clubbing and stuff. I'm not going to send you my money because, you know, I have to, I don't know, work and, yeah. you know, we have bills. Yeah, we It's have not easy, it's right? Not, it's, not <laughs> yeah. easy. it's just easy. Like if I, if I had the money, I would share. Uh, but I see how this entitlement can make someone kind of, I would say, miss the train of their life because when you're in this dynamic where, uh, the, the child has diarrhea, you wake up at five to go send money. This one is happening, you know, that's even not helping people. Let's start with that. It's absolutely not helping people because you just make them entitled and they're waiting for you. And it will never end because they don't have a means to sustain themselves, you know. I was going to say, especially, especially in situations where the people that are soliciting your help never cared about you in the first place. It's never people who helped you, you know, it's this this very like when it's like a toxic manipulative situation and then all of a sudden it turn around, like take care of my 856 kids. Okay, but like you left me for the dogs, you know, you kind of. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I, I, I can imagine that that's like. That resonates. Huh? Yeah. You know, and I think where I really, really relate with that now, I feel a lot like crazy amounts of resentment when people in my life expect emotional support from me now as an adult who never even attempted, maybe they couldn't, you know, but who never even attempted to extend that same support, you know, to me. It just, it feels so, 
extractive, you know, and exploitative and like, it just feels wrong, you know? And I think that it's a fair comparison to like the material support thing too. Like in my context, when I think about like helping my community, I'm thinking of in the truest sense of the word, you know, like, and also there are certain people who, if you expect things from me, but you actually have harmed me, where do we go? Where do we go from there? And I, I really struggle with that because like, I still really do believe in the idea of extending a hand despite it all. But also resentment is a real, is, a, is something that it tells you something. Like it's not the, in the beginning talking about like honoring your feelings, like that is a feeling that needs to be honored, right? That does not come out of nowhere. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's really crazy. Or when like the expectation is that if, if somebody has children, they deprive their children in order to make your life easier. That causes a lot of resentment for me too also, you know. Yeah. Um, bringing it back to the group about, uh, you say, someone who might have harmed in the past who needs help now. The group is saying you have to forget it was a long time ago. And for me, it's true. I was, I beat myself up for so many years. Why could I not be like other people and forget and just be happy and just be you know, and just leave the past in the past. When you come to learn about trauma, you know that that's not how it works. You can, you can fifty years can pass, and the wound will still be like it was, it like it happened yesterday. So that was a big um, relief to discover what because I struggled so much. I'm like, but oh, why can't I just be like other people and just be happy? Yeah, right. me too. Oh my gosh, girl. <laughs> Who you telling? <laughs> and just be happy and then, you know, forget the past. The past is in the past. No, that's not how it works. And I, I had people who, who really spent, like, a huge amount of time, like, beating the crap out of me. And then now as an adult, I have to help them out. I just couldn't. I, I Like, even talking to them on the phone, I was still scared. And I'm an adult. I'm a mom of three. Scared. To even just say hello because only to hear the voice puts me right back in the situation. And I have to like call them, say hello, and send money. And that was too much for me. So there I was like, I don't care what they think because I'm not dishonor myself and how I feel and what it does to me because everybody thinks I should forget and, and just move on from it. No, I'm let the bridges burn. burn. No, 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 absolutely you know? not. No, and no. I will never be that saint. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, especially in uh, situations where the same people telling you to forget are enablers. Oh my God, my skin is crawling. My skin is crawling. Like I will not forget. It will be, I will not for the rest of my life. I will not forget. I will heal, you know, but there's no forgetting. Sorry. There's no, there's no group. There's no community. There's no help your family. No, and that, no. No, no, that's no. not that's not family. Especially when people don't want to help themselves, you know, <laughs> they just want you. They just want their handouts. They don't want to. You say no, you know. But if you want things to be different, you have to send the kids to school. I'm ready to pay fees, pay for it. Oh no, they are not interested in that. They want the money for themselves. So we're still in the, that cycle where kids are not seen. As you said before, that when an elder came to you with compassion and tenderness, you you would you will not forget. I can tell you, for every kid who meets an adult who is kind and compassionate to them, they will not forget. Especially when it's rare in their life, they will not forget, you know? So 
I think we also have to rethink the place of the child in our African families. What a child is about. Like, I think we have to learn what a child is about, what a child needs, how to take care of a child. Because in my context, children were just there, they were growing up, and then, you know, most of the time not even raised. And then as soon as they grow up, they have to take care of the whole group. The group is just tired, the elders are so tired, you have to take over, you have to do this. But you, you didn't pour anything into them. You didn't give them that life force to go fight for it and bring it to the group. And, you know, that was really a, a very, very interesting conversation. Not to compromise yourself for the group. Uh, even though we know the group is important and we want to belong to the group. And choose your own group too. Choose the group you want to belong to. <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. You yeah. took the words right out of my mouth in the event where your very being is offensive to a group or um, you're asked to like compromise your values, then maybe it's time to reconsider. And I feel like a lot of people don't have that option. Yeah. Um, but in cases where folks are able to do that, that's like, yeah, there's, there's a group, there's a group for everybody. There's a group for the, for the ostracized as well. Right. So, yeah. 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 And sometimes it's very uncomfortable when you come to that realization. It's very scary, right? Mm -hmm. Because you see that, okay, I don't want to belong to this group. Maybe you've not found your next group yet. And mm -hmm. then you want to fill your space with lots of things. But sometimes it's really um, good to take your time and sit even mm -hmm. in that discomfort and uh, really think of how you want to show up and yeah. where you want to show up and what type of group, how you would want to feel in a group, you know? Yeah. And then I'm sure you can find, it's not easy. Yeah, so absolutely. University, but I'm sure you can find groups that we want to belong to. Yeah. yeah chosen family, so they call them. Yeah, 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 exactly. Thank you so much, Hawa. Thank you, Miriam. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.